Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Andreas Brenner, co-founder and CEO at Jua, to the show. Andreas, welcome to the show today. Hi, great to be here. Great to have you here. So let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about your SaaS background. Sure. So I was previously in an old industry, so I'm not going to talk too much about that. In SaaS, I started my first company called Avrios with two co-founders in 2015. We grew the company to about 10 million in ARR, and then we sold it to Battery Ventures at the end of last year. And then I am also a founding investor in another company, which is you know just about at Series A level. The company is called CleanHub, has some sort of a subscription model. I'm also on the board of two other SaaS companies, all of them is somewhere in the range of, let's say, two to five million ARR. And then at the same time, as you just said, I'm also co-founder and CEO of the of a pre-revenue SaaS company mm-hmm. called Jua, where we do accurate weather forecasts. So we built the first world's first end-to-end deep learning-based weather forecasting model. That's great. You know, everybody loves to talk about the weather. I'm located in Denver, Colorado right now, and we're supposed to get nine inches of snow tonight. So we'll see. Who knows? It could be two, it could be 14 inches, but you never know. So I love that. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about Jua, which is J-U-A. So tell us a little bit about what Jua does. Sure. So for now, it's literally straightforward. We make weather forecasts significantly more accurate. Under the hood, we achieve that by using complementary data. So instead of using only the governmental you know, radar, airplane, satellite data that you would expect, we also throw... IoT data into the mix. So we use data from smart homes, cars, and so on. So we, we and then the other part is um, historically, weather forecasts have always been done with numerical weather models. So you could say people try to hard code the physics of the atmosphere. It's an oversimplification, but approximately that's what it is. We're taking a deep learning approach instead. So we're letting the machine learn the physics of the atmosphere if you will, and to our knowledge, we're the first ones in the world who've done this outside of a research lab. So there's been research before, but nobody's really implemented this in a practically operational model. We're the first. For now, we provide this as an as an API, but also we're soon planning to release capabilities for customers to fine-tune the weather model for their specific purposes with their own custom data and then the business model is a subscription one so we sell that as a we sell that as a subscription model for now to get access to the to the api okay really interesting i love it you know weather forecast and and improving upon that process so you say using government data sources which a lot of folks use but also iot data which is really interesting and Mm -hmm. then We'll talk a little bit more about your company, but you said you recently founded, so we're just entering 2023 here. So did you found this in 2022? That's right. Yes, we 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 got together full time in April of last year to start working, to start, well, in, in March of last year to start working on this company. Mm-hmm. We, we raised a little bit of money. We are now a team of 17 people, mm-hmm. a predom- predominantly tech because it's, Mm-hmm. It's it's not so easy what we what we built in terms of technology, but it's, yeah. an, it's a great. Yeah. 
And and tell us your background. Do you have a technical background, or are you on the business side? What what's your your background? So I I'm interested in technology. I started making websites for other people when I was 12 years old, and that's kind of how I slipped into software and and technology. I always preferred programming my my calculator um, instead of listening to the German lesson in school or stuff like that. So. So I was always, you know, interested in the technical side, but I studied business. I'm the commercial guy. My co-founder is a, is a machine learning engineer with a family business background in the, in the weather space. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So I founded the company in April, 2022, team size of 17 right now, mostly on the engineering tech side. And then yes. where is, where are you located or where's your company predominantly located then? So I'm personally based out of Zurich in Switzerland. My co-founder is based in Berlin, Germany. And these are two of our hubs. And then the third, we also have actually five or six people are in Cape Town in South Africa. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Common that people are in, in different locations. And okay. So founded 2022 and then you're in Zurich, co-founder Berlin, some folks in Cape Town team of 17. And, and so right now you are pre-revenue, but you're going to sell this on a subscription basis then? Will it be a pure you know, fixed rate subscription? Will there be any sort of usage component to the subscription? So we are offering, in, in theory, there is a usage component. In practice, we're offering that as a, as a fixed bundle. So in, in, in tiers, mm -hmm. if you want volume, okay. volume tiers. So. Okay, so subscription, but maybe some tiers as the usage increases or some sort of indicator that they'll move up through the tiers based on Correct. the usage in the app or the API. Okay. Yeah. And you're really interesting. So with weather, so who are you going after as far as customers? Who who's your ideal customer profile or or what type of customers would be interested in in Jula? The one thing that I quickly learned as I, I was new to the weather industry. So I was a personal, you know, I'm personally very involved with the topic. I'm a, I'm a, a kite surfer and trail runner and personally try and spend as much time outdoors as I possibly can. But, and, you know, I had previously been working in renewable energy. So from that's from, from the customer side, I had, I had some good, good interest in the topic, but I was not familiar with the weather industry. And I think one thing that I learned is that, you know, this is one of the top 10 keywords in the world on Google, I think. And then at the same time, it's much easier to find businesses that are not in some way affected by weather than it is to find businesses that are. And so you're rightfully asking the question, who is our ideal customer profile? And I think, you know, building this business, one of the key things that, that matters is not, not so much identifying additional opportunity, but it's more about focus. I would lie if I were to say that we have 100% figured this out for the long term, but we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of inbound interest because of the specific features of our model um, from anybody who's interested, particularly in accuracy and precipitation. That's, that's also like physically one of the hardest nuts to, to crack. And it's, it starts, it starts with simple, you know, consumer weather apps, because as a consumer, you, 
when you look at the weather, what you really want to know mostly is does it rain or not? Should I wear a jacket? Yes or no? Temperature, of course, matters, but that's that's just accurate enough. A precipitation is where we can still get a lot better. So consumer apps is one. And then on the more B2B side, we're seeing a lot of interest in the agriculture sector where, again, precipitation matters a lot. And the accuracy that our model can provide makes a meaningful difference for operational planning. And then the third key industry is renewable energies and generally more broadly, the energy sector, I would say. Okay, interesting. So still figuring out, mm -hmm. it, out your ICP, which makes sense, but consumer weather apps, you know, which I used to use Dark Sky, which was bought by Apple and kind of consumed by the Apple app. I'm not sure if I like that, that integration yet, but and then the B2B side, agriculture, which makes a ton of sense, and then renewable energy and broadly the energy sector. And for those other SaaS founders who are listening who are in that same stage, develop a product pre-revenue, how are you finding initial interest or finding these potential customers? Is it through your network? You know, how are you generating initial interest in, in your application? Yeah, so so some some of it is, of course, network. And then the other part is that I always, we, we do do some inbound marketing experiments. So we set up simple landing pages and then we, you know, do some ads in different channels and see what comes in with very limited time and resources. You know, as I said before, I have previously built a SaaS company and what I've found is that outbound email or just in general outbound is a, is a great and efficient way to iterate your you know messages and get to get to product market fit fairly quickly so this is also what we do here and i think by now there is at, at the time it was still kind of a secret in 20 not a secret but it wasn't as you know known in the market in 2015 by now i think everybody can manage to find a service that tells you at least the basics of how to do outbound and you can take that and then iterate from there so so that's that's what we do just outbound email Mm -hmm. network network and a very very little bit of uh, marketing inbound so inbound yeah so marketing. yeah so interest so inbound marketing a little bit of that but outbound email and i love that iterating on your message till you find that product market fit or that message that resonates with you with your prospects and so you recently raised a pre-seed round of it looks like two and a half million and is that total capital raised to date that you can disclose at this point yeah, so we so we raised actually significantly more money than that in the meantime, but that's not yet announced. Okay, all right, really interesting. I will look forward to that announcement. And so, tell me, what you know? I usually ask you what triggers or milestones that led to this raise, but you're pre-revenue. So, tell us about that process to go out and find investors. You know, what helped in that process? Was it you know? because you previously founded a company, what helped you raise the two and a half million with no revenue? Sure, so yeah, I mean, you know, having having built a 10 million AR business, certainly it, you know, that's, I'm not, I'm not one of the fund returners, I'm not one of the unicorn founders, but it does certainly help. But at the same time, we, my co-founder and I just literally published, a, you know, a kind of five phrase or so, LinkedIn announcement, and then there just happened to be um, a lead investor with more than 20 years experience in our specific 
space who just from those few sentences exactly understood what we do and then kind of pitched pitched back to us why they thought this was a great opportunity so so the track the track record helped me to build a little bit of competition around the term sheet that we got from this investor but the the term sheet was really i think a, a lucky coincidence that there was someone who loved the space had a had a pre-existing thesis and that person also happened to be connected to me on on LinkedIn. Yeah, so big, big. Yeah, I, so, I, I wish I wish I could claim we're just great, but I think it was a bit of a lucky punch or a lucky coincidence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So maybe for the other founders listening, maybe maybe not a repeatable motion to find an investor, but you're saying you just published a post on LinkedIn, right? You know what you're up to with this new with this new endeavor, and so just randomly an, an investor with experience in the space saw this and said, "Yes, I'm interested," because they believe in that space. That's yeah. that's right. Yes. So I guess what may what may be repeatable is building a bit of a LinkedIn network with with investors and then keeping them engaged. This is actually something that I've learned from you know previous fundraisers. That I guess I guess the common pattern that I see between this fundraise and the other is that something that my father always told me is you know luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And I guess you know, 10 years of, or close to 10 years of building network with VCs is, mm-hmm. is, is the preparation and, and then you get lucky. And, and maybe for the younger folks that if, if there's any kind of younger founder listening, which I think is maybe the direction that we're taking this, I actually did that similarly when I started my first company. So at the university, I knew I was going to start a business eventually. So I started organizing, you know, events, for other founders, invited investors, and that way I built a network. And and because of that, I already had a pre-existing network by the time that I um, that I started the first company, and that that helped us raise less money, admittedly, as first-time founders. But at least you know we raised the money within two months or so that mm-hmm. we needed to sustain ourselves for the first eighteen months. Yeah, and great advice. And that was my next question, tips and tricks, fundraising lessons. But it sounds like, of course, it comes back to the network again, whether you're looking for a new job, new position, network is important, but also fundraising, you've built that network, you've maintained that network. And then, you know, your network through LinkedIn just happened to pay off in this case. And so they had that repeatable motion is, you know, work on that network and maintain that network. Well, that's one thing. The Uh, other thing particularly that I've seen, so I was in Europe and I asked myself at the time, and and then I read a lot of content around, well, you don't want to screw up your cap table early, which I think a lot of European founders used to do at the time, maybe still do today. And so I asked myself, why is it that American investors are paying higher valuations? Is it just a market or is it something else? So I flew to the, I flew to San Francisco, talked to people there, talked to Zurich, talked to people in Zurich, Berlin, and so on. Um, and one one thing I found is the the typical founder I talked to in Switzerland and you know spoke to maybe 10, 15 investors and then ended up being sad if they got only one or a bad term sheet. And the average founder in the valley was talking to 100 or more investors. Of course, in the valley, that's a lot easier because mm-hmm. the density of investors is much higher. It's changing, you know, slowly in Europe. But then I understand, you know, it was quite clear to me that if I speak, to, if I'm going to speak to 100 investors, and that's exactly the goal that I set for myself, and that's exactly what we did for each round. And I still use that as a metric 
-hmm. today and I learned and and yeah so this this quantity was one thing because you know with experience I guess you learn to recognize who is a good fit or not a bit earlier maybe nowadays I don't need to speak to 100 people for a round anymore but but still I, even even with you know having gone through I guess either gone through or advised on, on more than a dozen funding rounds in you know Mm -hmm. I, I, there, there are still factors that I cannot prospect from the internet where a lot of people that I think should be interested drop off. So I still need to do a little bit of, you know, quantity to make sure that I end up with a good deal. So it sounds like experience, of course, key in fundraising and talking to another founder, he said, you know, I think through his experience, he could tell within the first five minutes of talking to a potential investor whether there was going to be any fit with this investor. Do you kind of have built up that same experience and intuition when you talk to an investor? Can you tell within the first five minutes that they may or may not be a fit? I would say I can tell within, typically you see within the first few minutes if they've, already have a thesis on your space and actually like what you do and, and they understand they conceptually understand it. I think that that much you can tell, but whether they're a fit or not made, you know, I don't think you can tell in five minutes because there are lots of other considerations. Like, you know, to me, the references, you know, how, how have they behaved on, on announced and unannounced board positions that they held previously. So, so are they, mm -hmm. you know, are they generally interested in what we do? I think that you can typically tell in a very short amount of time. But yeah. from there to, to qualifying an investor properly is still a long way to go. Okay. Well, that makes a ton of sense. And that's really fair that maybe in that first five minutes, you can tell, do they actually understand your niche, which comes up a lot when I talk to SaaS founders, you know, they may know technology or they may know AI, they may know SaaS, but do they really know your niche, your space within that sector? which it sounds like you're talking to. So yeah, that's that's great advice, really fair. So really, you'll appreciate the insight. So what's next for your company? What's coming up next that's exciting? Wow, a lot of things. So there is on, on, on several levels. So on the one hand, we know today that our model has learned things about the physics of the atmosphere that are unknown to scientists now, or at least not have never been modeled by scientists before. You know, the model being a machine learning model, we now have to figure out what exactly those things are that we learned. So this is, this is how can we tell? Because if we give the model the same input data, then it, you know, it gets better results as an output. And so that's, that's very exciting on a scientific level. On the other side, we're right you now we're in negotiation for the first kind of handful of, of commercial contracts. So that's a very exciting time. You know, who says they will open their wallet and who will actually do it? Who who, you know, in this in this special time actually ends up working with us. So that's quite exciting. And then third, we're you know, we're we're right now fairly well funded but as a result of you know once once we're further ahead in the release of our product and on the commercial traction side we're, we're very likely going to raise again although you know we'd, we'd actually don't need that for for some time uh, but i always think 
fundraisers are exciting. I guess I'm now a lot less excited about the money. That's more just a necessity to get the job done. But but it's always exciting because you do ask yourself the big questions and you do get challenged left and right on all kind of little details. And, and it does make you, or it does make me at least, reflect a lot. And, and I like that. So those are some exciting things. And then, yeah, I think those are yeah. the key, yeah. the key ones. Yeah. So I'm sure a lot coming up for the company. So exciting, you know, early nego- negotiation for your first commercial contracts, always exciting. And Andreas, really appreciate your time today, sharing your story and your background. If more, if our listeners would look, learn, like to learn more about you and your company, where should we send them online? So first of all, of course, our very limited website, jua.ai. Uh, but especially if you're a founder, you'll, you'll be smart enough to figure out my email address. So just, just email me or, or connect. I am actually active on LinkedIn. So you can also find me on, on LinkedIn and connect me there. And as much time as I have available, I'd like to pay it forward. So if I can, you know, help anyone, I will. Yeah, well, appreciate that. So if you'd like to learn more about Jua, check out jua.ai. And you can probably figure out Andreas's email address there and then looked him up on LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find him on LinkedIn if you'd like to, to learn more about what he's up to. And Andreas, really appreciate your time today and sharing your story. Thank you very much.